Hey everybody, it's Christina Caramo and welcome to It's Solid Food. So there's something really interesting that I want to discuss today. And I hope you share this episode with your family and friends because this world that we live in is so complex, yet it's not complex, it's just that our media doesn't accurately report what's happening, so it causes us to be in this constant state of confusion and not knowing what's going on. So what prompted me to make this episode? I had heard a report regarding Rihanna tweeting out support for these protests in India. Some farmers have been protesting. And I, I guess what happened, um, to my understanding, because why they're protesting isn't the important part of the story. From what I understand, there are some, um, these farmers are upset because in India, the prices that the food can be sold for is regulated. And that's designed to give small farmers a chance to be able to sell their crops. Whereas, say, large corporations, because of their size, can sell things for such a smaller price that it basically kills the small business. So we can talk about that, but that's not that's not what's going on. So India, from what I understand, wants to move the policy. That's from what I understand. But again, that's not the important part. So the important part is that Rihanna tweeted out her support for the farmers. Now, what makes this interesting is there is a PR firm that is tied to this movement to basically um, the Sikh movement to create an autonomous state. But again, I'm not getting into whether they're wrong or right or any of that. That's not what I'm getting at because that's not the important part of the story. The important part of the story is this PR firm that wanted Rihanna to tweet out in support of these farmers paid her $2.5 million. So Rihanna, whether she agreed or supports these farmers isn't the point. The point is she was paid $2.5 million to basically push global pressure or bring global awareness to an issue. And I find this to be very interesting. And here's why. Oftentimes we notice that celebrities, entertainers happen to all be leftists. And I don't know anything about this call she's tweeting about. I know very little. But we notice that these celebrities and entertainers, they all seem to be pushing the same agenda. If you think that that is by accident or this all these entertainers happen to be just wonderful people, you are fooling yourselves. You are fooling yourself. It is a reason why our Oscars, our Grammys have turned into nothing and all these award shows have turned into leftist powwows while a group of celebrities like Michelle Williams get up and talk about how wonderful abortion is because if it wasn't for her abortion, she wouldn't be where she is today. So as she's holding her gold idol, she's... In, it borderline tears talking about how she's so happy she could get an abortion or she wouldn't be able to, to do, get her award. That is not by accident. And now also the article talked about Greta Thunberg because the same group that paid Rihanna $2.5 million put together like a press, like a press packet to, or a press junket or whatever um, to help Greta Thunberg go on her PR campaign for this same cause. So why is this girl, I think she's just turned 18, she's out there, and, and keep in mind, her parents are actors. That's the funny part, her parents are actors. So she's been put out there as this afraid little girl who is upset, you know, and she does all this stuff, I'm, I'm angry, it's a performance. It's the performance, the way the public will go, oh wow, look at this young girl, she understands what's going on, why not us? And that's the problem. Our media is like it's like a performance. It's literally a performance. And the, the dangerous part is the public is being swayed by these performances, not understanding the money change 
the wealth that's being acquired by these people to push an agenda. So they're not very sincere. Now, if these people were sincere, then they wouldn't require millions of dollars, PR people and handlers to help them craft their messages to advance or advocate for certain political causes. So then when you have these celebrities standing by these leftist politicians, then everybody thought, oh, my favorite singer. And I like some of Rihanna's songs. Okay, some are a little out there, but some of her songs I like, okay? And, and I don't have a problem. I know she has a like, makeup line or what have you. But the problem is, is that these celebrities and entertainers go out there and they push these views and then the public buys into it because it's my favorite celebrity. And I forgot to do my introduction. How did I forget? Oh my God, it's like four minutes into the show. So I have to play my theme song, right? What's the show without a theme song? <laughs> I'm Christina Caramel and now it's time for some solid food. Welcome back to It's Solid Food, where we discuss all things Christian apologetics, culture, and politics. I went into my entire piece without doing my theme song. I can't. Shout out to GS Advance for making that wonderful theme song. So, nevertheless, the, the problem is, is that there's these global stakeholders are using celebrities to push their agenda and to get the public to support it. You know, I, I I commented, a lot of people were upset, like with Steph Curry and his wife coming out making a video in support of Joe Biden. Like, you guys are Christians. What is wrong with you? Like, whoa, what Christian in their right mind would back Joe Biden? If you look at his policies, at, and, I, and these people, to me, do not understand the importance. They don't see unborn children as human beings. You, you can't. Because if you fully acknowledge that that unborn child is a human being, then why would you back Joe Biden who supports murdering people? There is nothing worse than killing people. So you can't profess the name of Christ and make take you seriously while you're stomping and making videos for Joe Biden. Like a, a lot of these gospel singers, they put together and like, oh, we're going to do a unity concert. Unifying with what? Unifying with a group of people who want to castigate me and malign me in society? I don't think so. Uh, unifying with people who don't want you to go spread the gospel? Because any compromise is progressive Christianity. That's not Christianity. That's a faux man-made religion. There's no such thing as progressive. We don't progress away from the Bible. And obviously people like Steph Curry and his wife Aisha Curry, they don't get that. They can't get that. Now, I don't know whether or not they're getting paid. I'm not saying they are or not. I don't know. And I want to make claims without evidence. But I think the thing with Rihanna exposes something that we all know to be true, that these celebrities are puppets. Sure, they can sing and dance, but they get the social currency. They get money from presenting and, and, and pushing these causes. So this gets back to the point. What is their agenda? Whether it's Greta Thunberg, especially Greta Thunberg, she is being used by globalists to push this Great Reset or this Build Back Better. So whether you use the term Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the World Economic Forum. So the World Economic Forum, they have this yearly meeting in Davos, Switzerland, where they get together and, and to discuss how they're going to fix global problems. Well, the problem is, is it that isn't a problem in and of itself. If the people with who have the most money, the most resources get together and say, hey, let's, let's figure out how we're going to solve world problems. That isn't a problem. But the issue is it always, in these people's cases, it involves the centralization of power in their hands. That is where it's dangerous. The fundamental problem, and this, this is where these people, they're Marxists. Now, 
we're going to get into, they don't call themselves Marxists or communists. They support what's called uh, stakeholder capitalism. Okay. That's what they like to call it. So you, it's, it's about rebranding. You know how a company will have a, a certain packaging for a long time and they'll rebrand. So anytime you want to push a movement or an idea that isn't palatable to people, you need to rebrand it. Because when you rebrand it, then people somehow disassociate what the tenets are. Look at the tenets, not what people call it. So you can call it stakeholder capitalism all you want. It's still communism. It's still socialism. It's still the same thing because you're calling for the same principles. You just call it stakeholder capitalism because you know the words socialism, communism, and Marxism have such negative connotations that if you say we want to, we, we support some of Marx's tenets or what have you, people are going to go, wait a second. Uh, really? I don't think so. So if you say that, people aren't going to like it. So they want to say, oh, build back better or stakeholder capitalism. And they use these phrases interchangeably. That way it'll throw people off. So if you want to get any indication what I'm talking about, and the media will try to paint me and others as a bunch of crazy people. Oh, you guys are a bunch of crazy conspiracy theorists. But just listen to what these people have to say. We, I don't need to, I don't need to, to just say stuff. Just look at the evidence. So this one is really interesting. I'm going to play this first clip is of the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. And he is pu pushing this bill back better. Now, if you notice, um, if you pay attention, that Joe Biden's campaign slogan was Build Back Better. And if you listen to the people who pushed the Build Back Better, they have the exact same agenda to achieve the Build Back Better. Building Back Better means getting support to the most vulnerable while maintaining our momentum on reaching the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development and the SDGs. Canada is here to listen and to help. This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. This is our chance to accelerate our pre-pandemic efforts to reimagine economic systems that actually address global challenges like extreme poverty, inequality and climate change. So I want to give a shout out to the Good Fight Ministries for providing that clip. They did a video regarding the Great Reset. So as you can see, Justin Trudeau is openly admitting that they're going to use the COVID-19 pandemic and as an opportunity to reimagine the world. Well, this whole Build Back Better and the Great Reset is nothing new. It's just that COVID provided an opportunity for these people to do what they always wanted to do. We're going to reimagine the world. We're going, and we know just, Justin Trudeau is a Justin Trudeau is a communist sympathizer. His parents were friends with Fidel Castro. Okay, so you you know how these people are. The, and, and, and notice the terms interchangeably. Let me keep going with these clips. Let me show you another clip with Boris Johnson talking about his campaign to build back better. So we already know Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada. Now the Prime Minister of the UK is also talking about. Build back better. So today, I want to set out how this government will offer a lifetime skills guarantee to help people train and retrain at any stage in their lives and enable us not just to come through this crisis, but to come back stronger and build back better. Our economy has been shaken by COVID and in the hand-to-mouth scrabblings of the pandemic, the shortcomings of our labor market and our educational system have been painfully apparent. Now you see Boris Johnson himself build back better. So you, you really think it's just a coincidence that three 
of the the major world leaders are all pushing this build back better. But wait, there is more. You think I was going to leave you short? Oh, no, I've got receipts. So the uh, Secretary General, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, made a video. And I don't, I'm not going to play the whole video for you guys. It's in the essence of time where he's also pushing Build Back Better. Now, he's particularly pushing Build Back Better to Middle Eastern countries, to the Arab world. And so this is a speech uh, that he gave posted online on the United Nations website. That Again, that's the UN uh, Secretary General, Antonio Gutierrez. And here's a clip that I have the words uh, on the screen. He, um, he said that he was talking about this reimagining, the Build Back Better. And even one comment he made that that means creating decent, sustainable jobs, introducing progressive taxation measures. Now, the reason why that's really important when he mentions progressive taxation measures, and, and hold on, shortly after that, he said, all of these steps are pivotal, pivotal in helping the Air region build back better. So you have the UN Secretary General, you have Justin Trudeau, Boris Johnson, and our boy, Joe Biden. Joe Biden also pushing the idea of build back better. So why are we insane? Why are we crazy to say, hmm, it seems like these people are all in cahoots. It's not a coincidence that Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau, Boris Johnson, and Antonio Gutierrez are all pushing build back better. It's not. It's not. And so when we point out that there clearly seemed to be some kind of global mind behind it all, you got the media saying, oh, you guys are just crazy. You guys are just nuts. You look here at the Daily Beast. The Biden presidency already have its first conspiracy, conspiracy theory, the Great Reset. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to show a video to you guys. Now, this is actually that the DeVos... Uh, summit, the DeVos Agenda, they openly admit to wanting a Great Reset. Klaus Schwab wrote a book called The Great Reset. <laughs> he literally wrote a book called The Great Reset. And so you have the media gaslighting you. And if you are unfamiliar with what the term gaslighting is, so what that simply means is you see something, you witness something, you know something, and then you have someone going out there, you're crazy, it didn't happen. It's like me saying, I don't have black hair. You clearly see I have black hair, but I'm going, no, I don't. I have red hair. Uh, you're crazy. I have red hair. And you're like, no, lady, I see you have black hair. I mean, I know that's a, a silly example, but that's just what I'm talking about. That people can plainly see something with their own two eyes happening. And people are like, you're crazy. That's not what's happening. That's a conspiracy theory. Joe Biden didn't mention Build Back Better or the Great Reset, excuse me. He this is crazy. And if you read this article by the Daily Beast, which I'm not going to go over in, in detail, but you can read it yourself. They basically say like, oh, this is just a bunch of rich people getting together, talking about doing things. But they're not really going to do any of this stuff. Oh, really? Really? They're talking about guaranteed jobs? They're talking about reimagining our economy? They're talking about stakeholder capitalism? which is really just socialism or communism or Marxism, whatever you want to call it. It's basically government redistribution of wealth. And you have the U.N. Secretary General pushing Build Back Better where he said, we're going to have a progressive tax. 
That means very high taxes and redistribution of wealth to achieve their goal of stakeholder capitalism, which is just communism, Marxism, whatever. It's just redistribution of wealth. These folks, they would never come out. I'm not saying that they um, they necessarily want to uh, adhere to every tenet of Marx, but the most dangerous ones. Like if I shared a, a while ago, um, I don't know if these people necessarily call themselves Marxists or communists, but they definitely are adhering to the principles. Um, I remember like two months ago, I did an episode where I shared another article from the World Economic Forum where they call for the abolishment of private property. So they do call for the abolishment of private property. I mean, if you read their, go just check out the World Economic Forum and every leftist fantasy you'll see included in their, their writings all the time. The reason why they run over the word communism, because they, they, they're like, oh, well, you know, we don't want violence. But what they do is they have their media people, they have their entertainers, and they have them go out and brainwash the public because fighting people is a lot more difficult. It's easier to just brainwash them into compliance. And that's what they're working on now. But to believe that they could never get violent would be crazy because then you would have to ignore the realities of human evil. And this is the fundamental problem with these people, whether it's Trudeau, Boris Johnson, uh, Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum. They do not they do not believe that knowledge is rooted in the word of God. And so since they do not, they are trying to tackle the issues of human evil, trying to tackle the issues of the issues of, of poverty the wrong way. And they feel that the reason why we have evil in our society is because it, power imbalances and resource imbalances. Now, sometimes that can, but ultimately it's the human heart. Let me explain why I say sometimes. In more and poorer areas, you have higher rates of crime because you have more desperation. So if you live in a neighborhood that, say, the average wealth, um, the, the, um, the, I'm trying to think of the word, it's leaving my mind. Let's say you live in a neighborhood of millionaires. You might feel a little more comfortable walking around at night because the probability of your neighbors trying to rob you are a lot, a lot less, a lot less. And I said it's impossible because some people just like to steal and commit crimes for the thrill of it, but it's a lot less. We're in a poorer neighborhood because you have more desperation, because oftentimes the families are more fractured, it has higher rates of crime. You, anywhere in the world is like that. More poverty, you have more crime. Well, the problem is, that oftentimes what led to the poverty was wicked human hearts, not power imbalances. Let me say, if you have a company and I just mistreat and abuse my workers, I'm the only, and every country has poverty for a different reason. We can't look at the United States poverty and try to figure out how do we solve that the same way I would try to solve poverty in India or somewhere else because every country's economy, their style of government, their personal freedoms are completely different. So you can't. But oftentimes we see poverty because of maybe exploitive businesses or in the United States, we see a lot of poverty because of people making poor life decisions. Because in the United States, you have the freedom to pursue what you want. And many people have more children when they can't have children when they can't afford to take care of them when they're not ready, or have children in unstable relationships. They didn't take their education seriously and didn't train themselves to, to have any type of meaningful skill. So that's why they're in poverty. It's not because there was a societal imbalance that caused that. No, they just made dumb decisions. That's just the reality of it. 
They didn't make good choices. That's in America. In other countries, it's, it's different. But the goal is to give for people to give their hearts to Christ. Because when we give our hearts to Christ, if I have a company, I'm going to treat my workers well. If I am a group of people at a company and we want to unionize, we're going to go achieve, we're going to work for righteous and fair treatment. If my heart is sold out for Christ Jesus, I'm not going to have sex with a man I'm not married to, therefore producing a child out of wedlock that I can't care for. If I'm a man, I'm going to be faithful to my wife. I'm not going to go sleeping around causing a divorce and a breakup in my family. If children are, are trained in the Lord, if children are discipled properly, they'll take their future seriously, they'll take their education seriously, therefore turning out better. If I'm sold out for Christ, even if I am struggling financially, I'm not going to go and knock my neighbor in the head because I want money or I need money. All of our social problems start with our rebellion against God. And it can't be solved with a top-down power approach. And we see these people globally pushing this. The reason why Trump was hated so bad because he got in the way of their agenda. So it's really important to watch this video. It's about four minutes, but I want you to watch it because they admit to what they're trying to do. And these people are, they're a bunch of globalists. They want to reimagine the world on a globe to build a global government. Because the only way you can build back better the world is to have the whole world in compliance. And the way you get the whole world in compliance, you can't get every citizen in compliance. You can't get every member of the family in compliance. You have to get the governments of those nations in compliance and therefore they will enforce these globalist rules on the people. So watch this video. And listen, in order to know what's going on, you have to inform yourself. End of story. Here we go. The pandemic has radically changed the world as we know it. And the actions we take today as we work to recover will define our generation. Now is the time to think what history would say about this crisis. 2020 has been challenging on a lot of levels, as economic, environmental and societal frailties have been laid bare. But it's also proved that when we need to, we can act rapidly and restructure our lives. The recovery from the pandemic is an opportunity. We can see rays of hope in the form of a vaccine, but there is no vaccine for the planet. Nature needs a bailout. You don't want to go back to the status quo that you had before simply because it was the status quo that got us here. With everything falling apart, we can reshape the world in ways we couldn't before. Ways that better address so many of the challenges we face. And that's why so many are calling for a great reset. A great reset? That sounds more like buzzword bingo masking some nefarious plan for world domination. Hands up, this kind of slogan hasn't gone down well. But all we really want to say is that we all have an opportunity to build a better world. And it's not surprising that people who've been disenfranchised by a broken system and pushed even further by the pandemic will suspect global leaders of conspiracy. But the world's not that simple. Every one of us has differing priorities, values, and ideas. That's part of why solutions are so hard to come by and why we all need to be involved in the decision-making. Because whether it's politicians, CEOs, academics, activists, or you, we're all about getting people together, even those you may not like, to sit down at the table and develop solutions that work for all of us. But... Creating enormous trust between the private sector and the public sector for this to actually work. That trust is hard to come by. 
It's time for people to work together, listen to each other and build this trust so we can move towards a better world. And we really need one. Because while the pandemic affects us all, it's clear it affects some more than others. The first people who are hit are the people at the front, those who are vulnerable. It is those on the front line who take it first. And that is simply unacceptable. See, at the start of 2020, 1% of the world's population owned 44% of the wealth. And since the start of the pandemic, billionaires have increased theirs by more than 25%, whilst 150 million people fell back into extreme poverty. And with climate change set to dwarf the damage caused by the pandemic, the message from 2020 should be abundantly clear. Capitalism, as we know it, is dead. This obsession that we have had with maximizing profits for shareholders alone has led to incredible inequality and a planetary emergency. But no one can do this alone. And top-down approaches won't get us anywhere because everything we've learned in our work has shown us that diverse voices lead to better results. And it's for these reasons that the forum talks about something called stakeholder capitalism, which would shift businesses away from just profit. Because if we want to change where the focus of our recovery will go, then we need a new dashboard for the new economy. And that needs to encompass people, planet, prosperity and institutions. Giving people a real stake in the economy and putting well-being before growth. And that's all about getting the right people in the right place at the right time. We must rebuild our relationship with nature for the survival of the peoples and our planet. We have a window of time which is closing and we need everybody who cares to get together and find solutions now. It's the people who have great ideas and who share them with others. They're the ones who are shaping the future. So if you want to be a part of the change, then tune in, turn on and get involved. Follow the Davos Agenda right here, online, on YouTube. So as we can see, they are looking for the globe to unite. And a couple of interesting points. Notice the one gentleman said, we need enormous trust between the public and the private sectors. Now, how do you achieve the trust of the public um, or the private sector, which will, actually will be the public, into the public sector, which is really the government? That's the public sector. The public sector is the government because in America, we are supposed to be stakeholders in our government. I'm not supposed to be a stakeholder in a private business. I'm supposed to be a stakeholder in the government by having a say-so on how it runs. The way you get the public to trust the public sector, which is our government, is through media brainwashing. See what I mean? Notice how if you challenge the 2020 election results, you get banned. You don't challenge the 2020 election results. If you challenge the 2020 election results, you're a threat to democracy. Who's pushing that? Media. Social media. They were actively, YouTube was actively removing videos that challenged the 2020 election results. YouTube was actively removing videos that questioned the coronavirus response. Why were they doing that? Because it was a faux way to get the public to trust the government. That's how you get the public to trust the government, through brainwashing them. I get so sad when I see people trust CNN. It really makes me sad. 
And the reason why it makes me sad is because they're lying. And they have to lie in order to get people to go along with what they're trying to do. I get really sad when I see people listening and trusting CNN and the mainstream news media because I know they're being brainwashed. They're being brainwashed into submission to be compliant with whatever our government tells us. That way, they can do whatever they want. So our mainstream media has become the number one enemy of the people. There is no politician. There's no religious leader. There is no organization that is more harmful to the people of America than our mainstream media. There's no organization more harmful because their job is to convince you to go along with this. So they have to lie to you. They have to mock people like me. They have to deplatform us. Notice how during the 2020 election, when the New York Post put out that story regarding Hunter Biden, None of the social media networks will allow this, the story to be shared. And we're censoring the New York Post. Why do you think that is? What about the unholy ties between Hunter Biden and China? Why will they silence that story? Because they couldn't risk Mr. Build Back Better Joe Biden not getting into office. And the public not being compliant in it. Why? I mean, the overwhelming evidence of election fraud is horrible. It's overwhelming evidence, and you still have people. I mean, I, and I like Ben Shapiro's show, but to me, he's he he he. I love his show. I still like his show. I don't have to agree with everything a person says, but he's still like, there's no evidence of election fraud. He somehow just trusts the official narrative. Like Ben, what's wrong with you? Did you not see the video in Georgia where they literally the election officials told everybody to leave, and two people stayed behind, and after everybody left, they pulled a box of ballots from under the table and started feeding them in the tabulators. You didn't see that, Ben Shapiro? What's wrong with you? But the evidence is overwhelming. And so the people, for some reason, won't accept what's happening because it sounds like something from a dystopian film. And I'm going to wrap up in just a moment, but a very good friend of mine said to me once, and I said, I asked him, you know, you see these things in movies, but then you see them now playing out in society in the real world. I said, how, how is that possible? He said to me, the way these globalists work, he said they want to put a lot of their agendas in film. That way, when it starts to play out in society, people associate it with fiction. So we associate these things with fiction. So then when people like me come along and tell you, hey, this is happening, your brain automatically associated with, associates it with fiction. And then you see me as just being ridiculous. This is what's going on. And notice the people pushing this stuff made a fortune from capitalism. They made a fortune from capitalism. Somebody like George Soros. He made a fortune betting against for a currency in other nations. And from, from what I recall, Russia hated him for a long time because something he did caused a huge economic problem in Russia. So these people made fortunes from capitalism. Fortunes. Then they want to turn around and kick the ladder so the rest of us can't climb up. Claiming they're doing it for our well-being while they simply centralize power for themselves. It, it, it's crazy. It's crazy. And so really quick, before I wrap up, I want to go through this quick article that Klaus Schwab, when he talks about stakeholder capitalism, it's simply socialism, Marxism, whatever. I don't think the world will actually ever be quote unquote Marxist. It will be technocratic, which technocratic still has, technocracy still has those redistribution of wealth elements, but it's ruled by technology and science, which influences the government. It, I, I did an episode on technocracy 
I'll make sure I share it again or check my videos. You'll see. So I'm going to go through this quick article. It's called What is Stakeholder Capitalism? Because they they call it, they had to include the word capitalism in there. That way people will go along with it. And so Klaus Schwab, who's the head of the Economic Forum, published this article on January 22nd of this year. It says stakeholder, stakeholder capitalism is a form of capitalism in which companies seek long term value creation by taking into account the needs of their stakeholders and society at large. OK, so they, they juxtapose that against shareholders, which are just the people who are invested in that particular company. Stakeholders is everybody around the world. OK, just days. Uh, just these days, a lot of political and business leaders debate whether stakeholder capitalism would provide us with a better way to organize the economy. But what exactly is stakeholder capitalism and where does it originate? And this blog adapted from our book, Stakeholder Capitalism, a global economy that works for progress, people and planet. We like to tackle this question and provide the reader with a clear answer. So Klaus Schwab wrote a book called Stakeholder Capitalism. So quickly, the stakeholder concept goes way back more than 50 years. I first wrote about it in 1971 when I was a young business academic. But its roots go, go even further. In the 1950s and 60s, it is a quite natural for a company and its CEO to consider not just shareholders, but everyone who has, who has a stake in the success of the firm. So that means society as a whole. That is the core of stakeholder capitalism. It is a form of capitalism in which companies do not only optimize in short-term profits for stakeholders, but seek long-term value creation by taking into account the needs of all their stakeholders and society at large. This approach was common in the post-war decades in the West when it became clear that one person or entity could only do well if the whole community and a common economy functioned. There was a strong linkage between companies and their community. In Germany, for example, when I was where I was born, it led to the representation of employees on the board, a tradition that continues today. And a sourcing, production, and selling took place mostly locally or at least regionally. There was a connection with suppliers and clients as well. This fostered a, a strong sense that local companies were embedded in their surroundings and from, the, and from that grew a mutual respect between companies and local institutions such as governments and schools and health organizations. It led to a constellation of stakeholders that I visualized in my 1971 book, The Company Management and, Mechan and Mechanical Engineering. So you have the business, the shareholders, which mean the owners of the company, the economy as a whole, the state and society, the employees, the suppliers, the customers, the lenders, and all this stuff. So state and society is the important part because the economy, lenders, customers, suppliers, and employees, you also, you necessarily assume that they're a part of the business model. But state and society, then that means that the companies have a social responsibility, according to Klaus Schwab, to bend to whatever he wants and whatever his group of people want. But I continue. In subsequent years, the stakeholder concept has adopted most prominent in the social democracies of Northern and Western Europe, including Sweden, Denmark, Finland, the Netherlands, Belgium, and Germany. It led, among others, in effect, to a tripartite system of collective labor negotiations, including company management, employees, and government. And it contributed to the welfare state in which companies and em welfare state, mm, no, thank you, <laughs> and employees paid their fair share of taxes to fund public education, healthcare, and social security. What's fair share? Who determines what's fair share? Because a lot of people hear this and they think, oh, we're just going to stick it to the Jeff Bezos and the and the uh, Elon Musk of the world. No, they stick it to everybody. Everybody has to pay way more taxes. It goes on to say, and then who decides who gets what? And oftentimes these, we see in America, 
the, the legislators steal the money. They pay for stupid stuff like toilets that detect anal print. No, you're not going to get more of my money. It's the job of the church to care for the needy in society, not the government to take my money, pocket some for themselves, give some to their buddies, and then dole out pennies to the needy. No, thank you. This system did adopt, adapt as decades went by, and it lives on in various degrees in those countries. But as global organizing people for business, the stakeholder concept competed head on with Chicago University economist Milton Friedman's notion of shareholder primacy. And so, you know, this, I'm going to, I know I'm trying to get done quickly, but this whole concept is saying, well, the job of a business is to just make sure the business is profitable. It's not the job of a business to fix society. And that's where they, they separate. But then who determines what the business can and can't do? See, Klaus Schwab can call for this all he wants, but why is it that they want to get politicians involved in his agenda? Because the politicians have the hammer, have the gun to compel businesses to comply with their agenda. So this is not something that they want people to voluntarily participate in. They want politicians to compel people to participate in this. And that's, that's what's problematic. And that's what's really scary about a lot of this stuff, because if you go through the article and I'm trying to be quick, uh, you know, let me just finish it because I'm actually almost done. And so you can just kind of see. So I'll be quick because I know you guys don't want to listen to me read an entire article, but it's important to hear this. Today, the stakeholder concept is ready for a comeback, albeit in an updated, more comprehensive form. We are facing a whole set of social, economic, and health crises. The best response to these challenges would be for all actors in society to consider more than their narrow and short-term self-interest. So what could stakeholder capitalism look like today and not how does it differ from stakeholder management my father's generation intuitively implemented in the 1960s and 70s? The most important characteristic of stakeholder model today is the stakes of our system are now more clearly global. So you want to reimagine companies, the governments, and the economic systems globally. That's the global government. Because you're asking for a global body to determine what countries and companies can do. And notice in the other video, the video I show where the guy said, well, you need public and private trust. Which means you need the public to trust the government. But that's accomplished through brainwashing via the media. Economies, societies, and environments are more closely linked to each other now more now than 50 years ago. The models presented here is therefore fundamentally global in nature, the two primary stakeholders as well. Klaus continues, this is true first and foremost for the planet. The planet's health, we know, is dependent not just on, ind on individual or nation decisions, but on the sum of decisions made by actors from around the world. So again, he's talking about we have to get the whole planet to go along with his vision in order to make a more sustainable world for not just the planet, but for the people as well. That requires compulsion. But again, in our society, you can't make people do anything. It's very difficult in America. So you need the media to convince people to go along with what the government is doing. They're an instrumental factor because if the media was accurately reporting everything that's happening, the public would revolt. They wouldn't go along with it. So he goes on to say, if we are to safeguard the planet for future generations, every stakeholder will therefore need to take responsibility for its part in it. What was once an extra, seen as externalities in national economic policy made, making an individual corporate decision making will now need to be incorporated or internalized in the operations of every government, company, community and individual. The planet is thus the center for the global economic system. Oh, he just mentioned it. A global economic system. Wow. But I'm a conspiracy theorist. Sure thing. 
and its health should be optimized in the decisions made by all other stakeholders. So you really mean to tell me you're going to get the entire planet to cooperate. You can't get people in families to cooperate. You can't get people in communities to cooperate. You really think you're going to get the whole planet to cooperate? Come on, folks. He's not stupid. It's going to be an authoritarian system. First, the media brainwashes the public into compliance. And everyone you can't brainwash to compliance, you compel them through the government. Duh. Continuing, the same interconnectedness can be observed for the people who live on the planet. The well-being of the people in one society affects those in another. And it is incumbent on all of us as global citizens to optimize the well-being for all. Failing to do so will inevitably come back to haunt us. Now, no one is saying to exploit or mistreat people in the other on other planets. But what Klaus is calling for, what uh, um, and Antonio, um, his name is leaving me at the Antonio Gutierrez is calling for, is a redistribution of wealth, a redistribution of power. But who decides what's redistributed? Because ultimately, these people must control all the resources. If I'm that's like me with a bag of M and M's. In order for me to ensure that everyone gets a fair amount of M&Ms, I have to hold the entire bag of M&Ms. So they're calling to centralize powers within themselves, and then they get to decide who gets what and who should get what. But the reason why this is fundamentally flawed, because if you understand what the Bible tells us, the human heart is painfully wicked. So why should I trust, trust uh, uh, Antonio Gutierrez, Klaus Schwab, Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau, Boris Johnson, to make decisions for the entire planet. It makes no sense. But again, you need the media to make people buy into it by rebranding socialism, communism, technocracy, and all these authoritarian ideologies. They rebrand them by calling it stakeholder capitalism. They rebrand it by pushing the Great Reset. They rebrand it by pushing Build Back Better. The evidence is out there. It's overwhelming. So I could continue to go on and on and on and on with what they're trying to do. You know, and you get the point. You get you get the point of what's going on. I don't need to keep reading the entire article because you already hear what he's calling for. I mean, just this last piece, and I'm going to close. He goes down in the article and it says, the, to ensure that both people and the planet prosper, four key stakeholders play a crucial role. They are governments, civil society, companies, and internal and international community. We already see the government component. See that with Joe Biden and his administration. Then we see the civil society component from unions to schools. Oh, brainwashing. So our public schools have turned into government indoctrination centers. Fabulous. We know that. Companies in the private sector and international community. So that's why you need, and this is why I start the segment off with the thing about Rihanna, because these entertainers, their job is to get us to go along with the globalist vision. Because we like our entertainers so much that somehow we want to uh, draw worldview analysis from people who dance and sing. And that doesn't mean that they're disqualified from speaking, but that doesn't mean that we should put them up as somehow the speakers and the PR spokespersons for society. But that's what's happened. So, you know, share this video with people you know. I provide evidence. I provide receipts. I don't just say things for no reason. I took the time to go through these articles. I took the time to show these clips. And like I, I shared the clip before with Bill Gates talking about lowering the human population by 10 to 15 percent. And CNN still throws him up there championing vaccines after he openly admitted in a TED talk that he wants to lower the human population by 10 to 15 percent using vaccines in healthcare. Yet we trust this man to be a vaccine champion. Come on. I also in another episode that YouTube pulled down showed you the video of the camps that Canada is building. And then one of the MPs from Canada questioned the Canadian government. You're building these internment camps 
for Canadian citizens claiming that you're going to protect us from COVID. And, and the, their head of their, their, uh, their legislative body shut the man down after the federal government in Canada tried to justify it. And YouTube, they pulled my video down. Because the goal, again, is you've got to brainwash the public into compliance. Otherwise, you're going to have a rebellion. We outnumber these people, but they control the levers of influence and power. And we got to wrestle those levers back in a godly way, of course. So thank you all for checking out It's Solid Food. I greatly appreciate you taking the time to listen to my episode. You can check out my website, www.christinacaramo.com. You can check out my uh, YouTube and Facebook channel, The Christina Caramo Project. And I'm on Instagram at Caramo the Great. So check out Solid Food on all major podcast platforms. Share this episode with your friends. And remember to be brave and bold because the gospel of Jesus Christ must be told. Toodles! Mm-hmm.